We're in a series called Unintentional, or Intentional, depending on how you want to read the parentheses there on our title. And we're looking at, at what it means to be intentional in different areas of our life, specifically with relation to our faith, different spiritual disciplines, uh, different relationships. And, uh, and so that's been our emphasis last week and carrying on into today into the weeks to come. A few weekends ago, over the Easter weekend, I had a conversation with someone that, that intrigued me greatly. Um, as many people experience over Easter, whether you gather to celebrate with family and friends or the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, there's usually a good amount of activity happening. And I was at a gathering where there was lots of good food, there was lots of drinks, there was kids playing outside, Easter egg hunts and all that. But I got, I got into a conversation and it was kind of like, when you get into one of those conversations, everything kind of blacks out and you're just kind of focused. And I remember my wife and Melissa kept you know, waiting to tap out so we could switch on the kids' rotation and, and I didn't even see her because I was so engrossed in this conversation. And the, and the friend that I was speaking to was recounting to me the Easter experience, Easter Sunday message that the, she was actually visiting a church, uh, but the minister was, was delivering. And she was just telling me about it and the illustrations that he used and the points of emphasis, and she was greatly encouraged by it, and she was mentioning this to me. And as someone who preaches from time to time, I'm very interested, okay, well, you know, what was intriguing and what was his strategy and what did he do? And so we got to talking about, well, what's, what's the purpose of a sermon, why do people listen to a sermon? Um, uh, and all those different things. And, and for me, I've always found it a bit odd in our day and age that just that people come to listen to a sermon. I mean, it's one of the, the only things that I can think about in our society where people voluntarily come together and they sit and they listen to someone speak for like 30 or 40 minutes. And they don't do that because they have to. It's not related to their job. The, the speaker isn't there to entertain them or to humor them, certainly not here. And, and it's not some sort of a Ponzi money-making scheme. Like people come and they listen to a person speak about life and about the Bible. And it's really quite odd and unique when you think about how it relates to the rest of our life. So we're talking about uh, all these different things and, and what goes into preparing a message, why people will choose to listen. And it was at that point that, that the assumptions that my friend made, they kind of revealed themselves. And I found this very fascinating. In her opinion, she, she feels that a person will listen to a sermon because it's a sermon and a preacher is preaching. And there in and of itself kind of gets the attention of, of the listener to actually be engaged. And the preacher's authority and their expertise and understanding and teaching the Bible will be enough to make people listen, or at least it should make people listen. Now, she didn't go as far as to make the comparison that I'm going to offer, but I think that she might agree with this statement. I think that she would even make a comparison between a preacher and a doctor with this, this sort of understanding that each person delivers expert information that a typical person can't get on their own. So for a doctor, the information that, that he or she provides a patient is medical expertise, diagnosis, perhaps some recommended treatment options, and then that individual can choose what sort of action they will take from there. For a preacher, the expertise and the information they provide is biblical understanding and application. And they then can make recommendations and the listeners out in the congregation can choose to act upon it if he or she so chooses. Now, this is what I heard my friend say and try to articulate. And her church tradition and her experiences are very different from mine. So I guess I shouldn't have been 
too surprised that her motivation for listening to a sermon would be a little bit different than what I assume other people's motivation is. And so what I said to my friend was, well, I think what preachers do, it's valuable, it's important, uh, it gives people the opportunity to understand the teachings of the Bible in maybe a different way than they would have known, uh, perhaps some background and some further education that, that they weren't quite aware of. And I think it's very, very wise uh, within our churches to resource our speakers and to make sure that they are well-trained and equipped to do that teaching well. But I also said that biblical teaching has to go beyond this. Uh, individuals, it just doesn't seem wise to rely only on a preacher every week or whenever they happen to attend to sort of find out what's in the Bible and what difference it should make. They shouldn't be seen as the experts that everyone else has to rely upon. Followers of Jesus are given the task to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, which means reading and following the commands of the Bible. It's a necessary activity for anyone that wants to take their faith seriously. And when I said this, she quite calmly and innocently said to me, but Keith, isn't it your job to read and explain the Bible to people? Because they aren't doing it themselves, right? And when she said that, I thought, you mean your assumption is that people aren't reading the Bible? And she was, under, she was operating under this assumption that people in the church, they don't read the Bible anymore. And that surprised me at first. And then earlier this week, I read a study that in 2003, this happened just last year, the Canadian Bible Forum, they interviewed over 4,500 Canadians from every province about their use of, their beliefs about, and their attitudes towards the Bible. And I found out that my friend is actually quite right, at least partially. Based on her church tradition that she grew up with and that she's connected with, the survey findings support what she said. When asked how often they read the Bible, 37% said seldom, 37% said never. That's almost three out of four people who say that they read the Bible less than a couple of times a year. Almost 75% said that. Now, our church is part of the Mennonite Brethren heritage. We are both evangelical and we're Anabaptist. So our church tradition is different than some of the mainline Protestant traditions. And when the, those, those who were surveyed responded to the same questions, 44% of evangelicals said they read the Bible either daily or a few times a week, while 21% said seldom and 15% said never. So the numbers are certainly different. What does this tell us? I don't know. It told me that I shouldn't assume that everyone in our church is reading the Bible. Many of us have not made reading the Bible a priority in our lives. We're not intentional. We have no plan for doing it. We have no one in our life who asks us if we're doing it or encourages us to do it or will do it with us. And based on the research I read from this survey, the people who read the Bible the least are the people who question its authority the most. Canadians who agree that the Bible is relevant to modern life are 10 times more likely to read the Bible frequently, which makes sense, right? This is just logical. If you believe it's important, you're going to do it. We do things that are priorities for us. If something is relevant, then we're more prone to participate in it. So if reading the Bible doesn't impact our lives, then why in the world would we do it? Now, I recognize that there's people here this morning who likely feel this way exactly. The Bible really doesn't feel all that relevant. Maybe you believe it's full of irreconcilable contradictions. 
Maybe you would say, when you really look at the teachings of the Bible, it's really no different than the other world religions. And so it's all just kind of the same sort of stuff. It's helpful, it's nice to hear about it once in a while, but for me personally, it doesn't really have much of an impact on my day, and so I don't read it. But there's others of you who behave in this same way, but you believe something else. You actually might say, no, I I do value the teachings of the Bible. Maybe you've experienced significant life change as you've read and studied the Bible and had it taught to you and you've acted on its principles, but yet you still struggle to read the Bible with any sort of regularity. You might have an intentional heart, you might have great ideas and good intentions, but you aren't walking on the path that will lead you to your goal. In fact, you might not even know what it means to be intentional anymore because you feel like you've tried lots of ideas and lots of methods and had lots of plans and none of them are sticking. So for the rest of the morning, I want to talk about a specific strategy to help people read the Bible. And it's not a new reading plan. It's not a new phone app. It's not anything new at all. It's actually a really old concept. It's choosing to read the Bible with other people. It's choosing to do it with someone else instead of just relying on yourself to do it. Some of the most disciplined and intentional people that I know have trouble reading the Bible on a regular basis. That's what I find. I find it for myself. I find it for other people, uh, people that I just think, wow, your life is so structured. You're so disciplined. You never procrastinate. It feels like everything you have in order are the same people that have a lot of difficulty reading the Bible on a regular basis. And so I worry that when we come up to this topic of reading the Bible, there's this quick association with guilt, and then there's this natural impulse to say, I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to recommit myself. I'll just try to do it this time. What I'm wondering is if it's not more effective to do it with other people and have other people say, I'll read it with you. I didn't get anything out of that passage either. I found that interesting. What do you think about this passage? And so we're going to talk about that and, and do an exercise this morning. Sean Olson, can you come up here, please? Well, I would love to hear your thoughts because I already heard some of your thoughts earlier this week. One of my, my favorite things about Sean is his honesty. He just tells you how he feels, and so far he's never apologized to me about how he feels, and I like that too. He's never offended me either. Um, but, but Sean admitted to me earlier this week that he doesn't like to read the Bible on his own. And he doesn't let this stop him from reading the Bible. Like, how awesome is that? He meets with other men on Friday mornings and they read the Bible together and he's intentional and he's got a plan for how he reads the Bible. So, Sean, I'm going to ask you a few questions. First of all, why do you bother reading the Bible? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, I think I read the Bible to uh, study, obviously, to how to be a better person. Because that's what I want. I want to be a better person, and I want to be closer to God. So, like, that's his words. So, quickest way and the best way to get close to him is to read what he wants you to do or what, he, what makes him happy. And hmm. so studying the Bible that way really helps me achieve that. And, uh, yeah. And when you do it on your own, what, what sort of obstacles pop up? What makes it difficult? Uh, trying to read the Bible on my own, uh, it's a really old book. Like, it's super old, and uh, it's not exciting at all, like, and it's really boring, not to be mean or anything, but it is kind of boring, and when uh, you read a passage or something, you're like, "Uh, I think I get it, I kind of get it, and, like, you have some thoughts about it, but you're not, like, concrete about what it means, 
and like having a group to discuss that with, it really really makes it easier to understand it, to like figure out what God wanted to do when he did something weird, like or yeah. just whenever he does something, it's easier to figure it out with a group of people as opposed to just coming up with your own thoughts and you might be wrong, right? So having a group to discuss it with really helps with that. So what's that, exp- well, first of all, how did you decide, okay, I'm Sean, I don't understand the Bible. What led you to then say, oh, well, I'll read it with other people. What prompted your decision to do that? Uh, I've been, always been the type of guy that likes to discuss everything all the time. So when I tried reading the Bible by myself, when I first started to, it, I just couldn't do it. I just knew I couldn't do it. But like, I still like to discuss it with people. And then mm. being in study groups, it was just like, well, this is the way I'm going to do it. This is just, mm. It just makes sense that way. So that's what I did. Okay. And how, what sort of impact does it have on your life? Like, do you, can you, are you one of those people that can say, I read the Bible today, and it made a difference. Uh, yeah, sometimes. But other times, no. But uh, when you read the Bible, it can be really challenging to, like, the way you live. And, like, you can question a lot of things. And then having a group of people that support you that way, they can hold you to that accountability. Like, if you want to challenge yourself some way, they know about it. And then the next week when you go to read with them, they're like, oh, so how did you do last week with that? Or mm. did you do something about that? And it really keeps you focused, or at least keeps some sort of accountability to that. Hmm. Good. Hey, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it, bud. That's, uh, that's really helpful. Hopefully that was an encouragement to you, just one story of how to read the Bible with other people. I'm going to read a, a brief passage from the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, regardless of what you think about the Bible whether you question its authority or you wonder how applicable it is, um, there is there's wisdom in, in it. And I think it's one of the things that, that is generally believed by people of varying views of, of the Scriptures, that there are principles there that are helpful. And this, and this is one of those principles. It, it's probably a passage that's familiar to many of you. It comes from chapter 4, the book of Ecclesiastes And it says this, two people are better than one. This is verses 9 to 12 out of the New Living Translation. Two people are better off than one because they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. We get a principle out of this short passage. Two are better than one. Three is even better than two. And this can be applied to many different areas in our lives. And within the context of Bible reading, sharing the experience with a few people can make a huge difference. It can be the motivating factor that gets you to open up your Bible. It can help you think about how you can apply what you're reading to your life. It can open yourself up to conversations and friendships that you never thought you would have simply because you have a common thing that you're doing together. You're trying to read the Word and figure out how to make better life choices together. Anytime a group of people spend time reading the Bible and talking about how it applies to their life, good things happen. I've never interacted with someone that says, boy, I tell you what the worst part of my week was. It was when I read the Bible with other people. That was a waste of time. I've never heard that comment. 
Conversely, over and over and over again, I hear people saying, even though I had to change my schedule, even though I lost sleep, even though I was stressed out of my mind, for whatever weird, irrational reason, that was a great day because I met with people and I read the Bible with them. Now, some of you are probably familiar with the phrase life journaling. Uh, We've talked about it several times throughout the years here at Jericho Ridge. It's a strategy. It's one way to hear from God as you read the Bible, whether you do that by yourself or you interact with other people while you do uh, that practice. It's an intentional strategy, but it's not the only one. Some of our men meet in groups that are called four-quarter groups. It's a similar sort of idea. Uh, The reason why they're called four quarters is because Bible reading is one part of four activities that they usually do over the course of about an hour. It's one one quarter of that time together. And at the end of our teaching time, we're actually going to have some some, uh, pieces of paper where you can actually test drive a group, whether it's a men's group or a women's group or a group for both uh, adult men and women. But before we do that, there's a group of women who life journal on a regular basis on Wednesday mornings together at 6 o'clock, and they've agreed to show us what they do. So this is kind of an opportunity for us to be a bug on the wall at Starbucks, if we can kind of pretend this, and, and we can watch and see what they do, but we can also participate with them as they do it. So they're going to come up right now, Jody and Karen and Meg and Bev, thank you. These four women, and, and there's some others that join them from time to time who, who um, aren't with us this morning, they're going to, to show us what they do and why they do it. And as they begin to explain what they're doing, the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to pass out a piece of paper that explains the acronym that they follow, the Bible reading life journaling strategy that they use called SHAPE. And so the ushers are going to pass that out and there's also pens that they'll pass out if you don't have a pen with you. Um, So just ask them for that and we're going to take time to, to listen to the group as they lead us through this exercise. Okay, well, um, you're much prettier than the crowd that we meet at Starbucks at 6 a.m., and half of us are much prettier than you would see us if you came at 6 a.m. <laughs> and we're going to pretend like, to some degree, you're not here, because otherwise it, this kind of feels really stiff. But anyways, you're all friends. Um, so this is our group, minus a few people um, that meet at Starbucks, and I think we all came for a variety of reasons. Um, so maybe Karen will say why she came. So I've been part of this group for about a year and a half, and I started coming um, in probably one of the most busiest, stressful periods of my life, which is kind of a weird thing because you don't usually sign up for new commitments when you're in the middle of stress and overwhelm. Um, But in this period of life where we were at, our family, we were walking through some really hard challenges, and I think my normal reaction to that type of challenge or overwhelm is, okay, we're going to hunker down and we're going to just try and get through this. And some of the disciplines of life sometimes fall away in those periods. And you're like, I'll fix that later when life calms down type of, a th- type of thinking. But in this situation where we were in, it was, it was worse than average. Um, and I would say it was longer than average. So we were a couple years into this process in our family of trying to deal with some things that were coming at us that we were out of our control, but we had to face. And... Um, I thought to myself, I can't keep putting life on hold. Like, I have, to, I have to get back to some of those disciplines. But that felt so overwhelming because when am I going to do this? I have no time in my schedule. Am I going to get up earlier? Am I going to stay up later? 
but I thought to myself, I have to do something to take some baby steps in that direction. So around that time, um, the little info sheet announcement came out about life journaling, and I thought, well, I think I can try that. It's only an hour. Um, I don't just sort out childcare or miss things with family because my kids are sleeping. Everyone's sleeping at my house at six in the morning. It's on the way to work. Um, there's no prep. And uh, the only thing I was not too sure about was the whole journaling thing because I've never been a journaler. So I thought, well, okay, I can get over that. Let's give it a whirl, see what happens. So that was a year and a half ago. I've been a regular ever since and I'm completely sold on it. And I think it's just become a completely critical part of my week. So it doesn't matter how overwhelming the week has been, how busy it is, how stressed I am, I won't miss it. And I think the thing the things that bring me there was this immediate sense right from the very first time that it puts life back in perspective. So you hear from God and you're in the scripture and you, all the rest of that stuff all of a sudden is put back in its place. The stress, the overwhelm, the whatever's going on, the worry, it's, it's like it takes that and says, okay, that's, that's actually not what's important in life. And I think that, and Meg's going to explain how we do it, but one of the, the things that really has helped me with it is it's a very personal experience because when we journal, we start with the sentence, my child whom I love or my daughter whom I love, which really, I think it takes it out of that kind of academic-y, study-ish type of focus on scripture and really turns it into a relational conversation. Like we really he- want to hear what God hears from us, what God has for us that we, that we need to hear. And that sentence really helps put me in that space. And then I think the other piece of it is we're doing it in community. So I have these great friends that I've made in this process and we're doing life together. We're hearing what God is saying to each of us together. And that's just such an encouragement. So I think, um, yeah, I'm sold. So I think that's the piece that keeps me coming back and um, really feeds me and puts that real importance of scripture intake into my life. Um, So maybe before we walk through the process of what we do, I'll tell you what we don't do. Um, Life journaling isn't meant as a tool kind of to measure our spiritual walk by. So if you are coming and sitting around this table, we aren't looking at you and thinking, oh, she missed the mark. Or you only, you only do it on Wednesdays. It's, it's meant to just be intentional. Um, it's non-judgment. We're not um, looking for right theology or even correct interpretation. We're actually just sitting here listening to what you feel like the Lord spoke to you about. Um, and so it's very free. So I think some of the barriers that maybe prevent us is thinking that we have to have it all together. Um, and I'm here to tell you that we don't. So if you came and joined us, you wouldn't have to either. But it is, life journaling is a tool um, to potentially get you in the word and to hear God speak to you through the word. So it's very personal. And in a group, um, it helps call those things out. It helps us encourage each other. I see Jody all the time. Our kids go to the same school. But I don't see Karen. I don't see Bev. And this is a great way to get in depth in a relationship when you're saying, yeah, God's saying this to me. What do you think? And we would be like, that's awesome. Um, or I can, I've, I, yeah, you can just share that experience. Um, and I think another thing that it, it is, it is quick. This isn't a drawn out process and we have all our commentaries. Um, I've done it through a, quite a long season. This takes us an hour. Sometimes it doesn't even take us an hour. Um, but you could do it 10 minutes while your kids are napping. When my kids were really little, like I would do it when I sit in the car waiting for pickup. You could do it at your lunch hour. It's really, really quick. So have I sold you? We're going to try it, and you're going to try it with us, so we're not the only ones sitting here looking at our Bibles. So um, did they have the sheets? 
Yeah, okay, so you have the sheets. So on the other side of your sheet, I, I can't see it, but it's the shape analogy. So I'm going to walk you through what the shape analogy is, and then we'll look at a passage and work through it. So the first one um, stands for S. S stands for scripture. So what you're going to do is you're going to read, let's see. We're going to be reading Luke 18, 1 to 17. So as you read through that passage, you're going to look for a verse that stands out to you. And then all you do is write it down. So you're going to take time, and then you're going to write down the S. The H is what you think God is speaking to you personally about. And Karen referred to this. We think this is easier to do it this way. Sometimes that feels really stiff. So even to say, my child whom I love, I I, I actually write it down. My child whom I love, today I want to tell you fill in the blank. It makes it feel not so like you're construing it. (laughs) I don't know. It's a trick. Um, So that's what we would write. So whatever we feel like, that is what we heard from the Lord. Um, Your A is your application. So just whatever you heard then, how would you put that into your application for for that moment? Um, Your prayer is just praying, um, just writing out a prayer of reflection on that. As exalt, um, I normally... Um, just put like a thank you of a character that that passage reminded me of. Does that kind of make sense? Okay. Anybody have no questions? Okay. So um, if you were to come to Starbucks at 6 a.m., you would see me and Jody in our hoodies and some other girls pretty ready to go for work. And we would, um, we would get our coffees. We would sit down. We would look at our bookmarks and we would say, okay, we're at Luke. 18, 1 to 17, and we would just start. I'm going to pray because I normally do pray before we start, and then we'll just read it, and you can work through it. So, God, I'm thankful today um, that you want to reveal yourself to us. That I thank you for community that can help help us in that process. I thank you for this body of believers that can help um, me grow um, and the rest of us grow, Lord. So today I pray just as we look into your passage of Luke, pray um, that you would speak to them, that you would um, call out something very personal that they could write down, that they could feel like they heard from you in this moment. And God, I pray that you encourage those that you need to encourage to incorporate some type of an intentional walk with you, Lord, because at the end of the day, we just want to hear from you. We want to know what is on your heart, Lord, and um, this is just one of the many tools that we can do that. Thank you. In Jesus' name. So um, we're going to have background music because we have that at Starbucks. Sometimes it's a distracting and Jody sings along. Um, so, so read through the passage. Um, we'll take maybe five minutes to do that. And then we'll take five minutes and you guys can just go through as you wish, filling in those blanks. If you were to come here for your very first time, we would start and break it down. So S, we'd all write our S and then we'd go H. Yeah, we won't do that. It's a little formal for Sunday morning. Okay, okay. Felt God saying lately, um, just got God saying, "I've got this," and that I reminded that God can raise His Son Jesus from the grave, so surely He can save me from my situation. And then my prayer was, God, continue to help me to press into You for everything big and small, um, and continue to break my heart for what breaks Yours. And then my E was, thank you, God, that I can place my whole life in your able hands, and with you, I can stand strong. Okay, I, um, for my scripture, I picked verse 8, which is, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? And the definition of faith and reading this passage, I um, 
I heard, oh, and also verse 17. Sometimes I have two verses <laughs> or more. Um, 17, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Um, so what I heard is, my child whom I love today, I want to tell you that I am here and ready to receive you with your authentic, honest faith, not because of your persistence or self-righteousness or maturity, but because you are my chosen, you humbled yourself, and you receive my word like a little child. And my application and my prayers sort of together. Um, Father, please help me have the faith you are looking for based on your justice and power and forgiveness and love, not on my own understanding or works. And um, I praise you and thank you for seeing my limitations, my humanness, and helping me by giving me your word, your love, and your instructions for faith and life in you. Amen. Um, I had this. I had one of the same verses, which is cool when you do it in a group because I actually got something a little different than Beth. Um, I chose verse one and verse eight. So um, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Um, so I heard my child, whom I'm loved today, I want to tell you to be persistent in your prayers. This waiting and petitioning grows strength, um, grows your strength stronger, um, and you have a part to play. My application was, I think I grow weary in my prayers, in the waiting for justice, and it highlights the need for me to pray into those situations that overwhelm me, to have faith um, in the overwhelmingness, and that related to um, the situation in Tanzania that we we went in Africa. Um, I think knowing that God will bring justice, sometimes I feel then it takes me off the hook to pray. (laughs) Like, I know God's going to bring justice, therefore I'll move on to the next thing. Um, and I heard him say very clearly that, that there is a part to play in my own persistence, if only for the fact that he wants to increase my faith. Um, so my prayer was just that my faith could grow in my steadfastness while I pray and wait for justice. Um, and my E was, thank you, God, that you are a just God. Do you want to share? So sometimes what happens is one of us gets nothing. And uh, I had actually, you can probably tell we all kind of prepped the passage before a little bit because it rolled off very nicely, ladies. It's not quite that smooth always on uh, 6 a.m. on on Wednesdays. So I actually had been through this passage this um, yesterday morning to try and prep and I got nothing. So I thought, well, I'm going to just do it live and see if something happens. So mine's not as beautifully formed. I did feel like I got something this time through, and I'll kind of share. So this will be a little bit bumpier than, than these guys and their smooth words. But, and the other thing that happened is I got a passage that's totally not what you guys... So it's different, which also happens sometime, which, which is interesting. So I picked 18 verse uh, 11. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like all the other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And I thought to myself, I'm going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt and think he probably didn't mean to come off that righteous and um, proud. And um, I mean, at least I think I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't. And I was thinking to myself, you know, we all have these blind spots and I think they all exist there, and I think I was just really struck by, by that whole idea of a blind spot and not knowing um, 
not knowing what those are, but how important it is for us to our growth to learn and kind of walk into those. So what I heard, um, well, and maybe just to say that, I usually respond to defensiveness if someone tries to, call, like in defensiveness, if someone tries to call that out of me. So what I heard was my daughter, whom I love, journey with me into those hard places, those blind spots, those vulnerable places where we need to go together. And my love will be there with you in those hard, vulnerable places, and growth will be there too. So I think from an application standpoint, I'm just, that made me think about how do I do that? How do I make sure my life is open enough for, and there's space, and that I can listen and not respond um, in defensiveness or run away or resistance if that type of a situation comes up. So my prayer is really for courage to walk into, into vulnerability. Um, and the exalt is really a thank you, God, that you love me as we walk through there, like you're there with me in those hard places. So that's what I got. That's what we got. Thanks, ladies. Well, let's, let's thank them by clapping our hands. It's what we do. <laughs> I hope that you personally found that exercise to be helpful. I'm guessing there's some of you that picked a similar verse. Some of you maybe got nothing. Um, some of you maybe had more questions as you read the, the passage than insights. And all of that's okay because it's part of the learning process. It's part of listening. And, and then it's the experience too of being, being able to talk with other people about that as well. Um, as a community of people, I want us to hear from God. I, I, want, I want to hear from God. I hope that those of you who come and get connected with our church family want to hear from God and want to commune with God. That's what our faith is about. And he speaks to us. And reading the Bible is one of the best ways to hear from God and to experience his goodness. And you don't have to rely exclusively on yourself and your own efforts and your own structure to try to do that. You can do it together with people, and it's a pretty amazing experience. And if you want to read the Bible with other people, my challenge to you today is to test drive a group. You got a bit of a, of a window into seeing what this is like um, from these four women who meet on Wednesdays at, at 6 in the morning. And there's other groups that meet as well, some existing groups, some groups that we are labeling a test drive group, which basically is it's your opportunity to give the group a try and to see what you, what you think. See if it's helpful in, in establishing a rhythm, an intentional rhythm in your life for hearing from God and interacting with other people. So our ushers are going to come forward and they are going to pass out a handout. Um, and it's pretty simple. It's all of our test drive groups. There's six of them. As you look up on the screen, the ones listed in red are those that are specifically for women. The ones in blue are those for men. And the one in black is for both men and women. Uh, you can see there, statistically, I guess we like Starbucks because four out of six there are at a Starbucks and they're at different Starbucks locations. And so as, as you can see, as you look at that form, uh, you have the place, the time, and in most cases, the, the leader, the facilitator. The facilitator really doesn't do much more than, than what Meg did and just sort of say, okay, let's get started. Anyone have anything? Look at the time, make sure that 
that he or she is respectful of the different schedules that other people have. They need to go to work or they need to get home or go wherever they need to go. And, and so I hope that we get an overwhelming response. Like it would bring me great joy if I spent the rest of the week trying to figure out how in the world we were going to put people in groups. Why not have 40 or 50 people right now say, well, let's do this. And, and really, if we do that, we're going to grow people. Like statistically, and I know stats aren't everything, but stats are really just listening to what people say. And everything that I've read over the past few years is when people get stuck in their faith, when they aren't growing in their faith, the number one thing that gets them out of that rut is reading the Bible. It's a way to hear from God. And so regardless of where you are in your journey with Jesus, whether you're still trying to figure out what you believe, whether you're stuck, whether you're spiritually mature, this is a way to do two things. It's a way to hear from God, and it's a way to develop friendships and a support network because the, the part that, that the group didn't showcase that I know is part of it is, is praying and praying for one another. And for me, the group that I'm involved in, it's such an encouragement when the other men that I meet with ask me about how I'm doing and tell me they're praying for me and send me emails uh, to let them know that they, they care about me. And so um, your task now is to look at these groups and to ask God, what do you think? Lord, should I do this? Should I be intentional? Can I do this? And all you need to do is put a little check mark by the group that you're interested in. Then at the bottom, write your name, your email, and your phone number. And then what I want you to do is I want you at some point before you leave this morning to take that handout and lay it right up here on the table and say, just like this is a table here that was kind of catered to get an experience, I want to be around a table similar to this later on this week. And what I will do is then I'll contact leaders uh, of those groups, let them know that there's people interested, and that way if we need to build a new Starbucks to have a group, we can do that. Most of our groups range from three to six people, and, and so we, I know that we have other people who are willing to facilitate more groups uh, if we need to do that. So we are going to sing a song. Our, our band is going to come up, and we're going to sing one closing song. And so I encourage you again to, uh, to think about test driving a group and also to, um, to worship and to cry out, as the song talks about, to hear from God, to want to follow in his truth, to want to be obedient. And if we're going to be obedient, we have to know the story of our lives and the reality of who we are and the reality of who Jesus is and the difference that he makes for us.